Village. We're starting a new series uh, called What is Love? Um, this is a topic that's searched um, online, like number one search from Google. And uh, the world wants to know what love is. And uh, I'm going I'm to go through that. We're going to talk about what love is. But not only that, I'm going to talk about how to love an addict. Anybody have an addict that they're that's maybe you're in a relationship with, or maybe it's your son or your daughter or your grandson or somebody that you know um, struggling with drugs and alcohol addiction. And I know before you guys tune me out, like, oh, this is an addiction sermon. Um, just, just, just hear me out. This is about loving difficult people too. Because it's very difficult to love somebody that is just doing the things they do in addiction. I want to share a little bit of my story. And I just introduced myself as a pastor, and you're like, okay, this guy is probably goody two-shoe his whole life and never seen anything. And uh, I, I, want, I want to start off a little bit of my story here in a second, but uh, what is love, right? Um, anybody remember the song, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Come on, sing with me. Don't make me the only guy up here doing karaoke, right? Don't hurt me no more. So it's usually uh, this, this negative connotation, like if you get in love or you're in love with somebody, there's a hurt involved. And, um, and I, I think that happens to a lot of us too, is that we put our heart into somebody and then they hurt us, right? Love hurts sometimes. Uh, also, uh, another uh, famous song from Whitney Houston, I will always love you. Come on, somebody sing it with me. I don't know. Zawadi, Zawadi, sing that one. You, you got that one? Come on, some Whitney Houston. I'll always love you. Uh, yeah, so there's so many different definitions. I could read you a whole bunch of definitions that I got online. I just searched what is love, and there's like a billion different things that popped up, and I was going to read them, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go right to the Bible real quick and just uh, look at uh, what the true meaning of love is. And every time I do a wedding, I do a lot of weddings, and when I read this scripture, the, 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 the groom and the, the bride are standing there like, oh, you know. That one's for you. That one's for you. And, uh, and, and this is what it is and uh, what the Bible says about love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. I'm going to talk about self-seeking today too. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, right? And you read that and you're just like, oh, I failed on a couple of those as I was reading it, right? I know for me personally, uh, that, that is a, a, a tall task. To, but, but what if we read it like this? So the Bible talks about God is love. So what if we say this? Instead of saying love, we say, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus is not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no records of wrongs. Jesus loves and does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth always protects, always trusts, always perseveres, love never fails. Um, Jesus' standard is unattainable. Um, if you look around the room, I don't see any perfect people here. Your wife might be like, what? You don't think I'm perfect? Anyway, uh, Jesus Christ is the only one who ever lived this 
life without sin, without blemish. He did it what we could not do. So that's what makes Christianity unique. Um, love never fails. So love is a lot more than just a feeling, ooh, I got the butterflies, right? It's more than just like the long conversations, the you hang up baby. No, you hang up baby. It's more than just slick words, right? It's more than just game, but it's a commitment. So how to love an addict? And like I said, don't check me out. Like, oh, we're talking about addiction. I'm not an addict. Um, how do we love difficult people? Because loving addicts can be very difficult. And I don't just say this because, oh, I know what it's like. I'm a pastor. I'm going to put everybody down. No, I'm saying this from experience. Uh, I know this all too well. Um, I've been through this. I have a lot of life experience, so to speak. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, but also a dysfunctional home with a lot of drugs and alcohol running rampant. I, too, was high and drunk for 12 years of my life. All day, every day. I bought into the Snoop Dogg, smoke weed every day. You know, I, I bought into that. I was high all day, every, every single day, uh, drinking, uh, go to school high and drunk, go to work high and drunk. I just couldn't be around people. I had social anxiety. Uh, speaking in front of people right now, speaking in front of a camera right now was not something I could do in high school. I would be shaking. <laughs> I'd be so nervous, like, don't make me speak in front of people. Right, So the idea of me being a pastor today is just mind-boggling because I'm here speaking in front of you and telling you my story of what God has done in my life. And when I share these things, I don't just share like, wow, I want to be transparent as possible because I know when we're transparent and we're real, it allows other people to heal. It allows other people to like, man, I need this, right? Somebody hears me that, uh, man, I need the truth. I need somebody to just keep it 100 with me, so... Um, I couldn't socially hang out with anybody unless I was high or drunk. Um, I hung out with real gangsters, right? I hung out with people that did some, some crazy things that I'm not going to speak about, but um, I did a lot of crazy gangster stuff too. And uh, I lived this life for 12 years, and um, while I'm doing all these different things, something good finally happened in my life because everything else is just like, you know, floor ripped up from underneath me. Uh, I wasn't going anywhere in my life. And then finally, I, I was working at Wilson Hospital in Johnson City, right down the street from here. And I met the, the girl of my dreams, right? And after uh, going through a, a couple different bad relationships prior where somebody said they loved me, and then they also said I love you to other people, and, you know, uh, anybody else been there where you've been cheated on, you've uh, been lied to, uh, I finally found a good woman. I found... I mean, there's a lot of great women, don't, don't get me wrong, but like, I found the one for me. And I was like, I'm not going to let her go, but there's a problem because I'm hooked on drugs and alcohol and I can't stop. Like, this is what I do. Like, if she finds out who I really am, is she really going to love me? So for the many months, I, I kept it from her and she's a good girl. You know, she's a good girl when she has to be home at nine o'clock, you know, I'm 18 year old guy. And she's like, I got to be home at nine o'clock. So... Uh, I didn't want to mess this up. After I dropped her off, I'd go out, hang out with the boys, go to the bars, get drunk. Kept it from her for many years or months. And then there came to a point where she's like, hey, like I know you Americans like to just do what you got to do and, and you just casually date. 
But she's like, not in my culture. She's like, if you want to be with me, if, we, if we're going to be a da- dating item, if we're going to be going out, like, we got to get married. And, and I'm 18 years old. I'm like, in marriage? Whoa. I know you're a good lady, man, but 18 years old. I'm like, but I, I got married with her in her culture, right? Which, man, I, I fought for this girl. I was like, man, I'm, there's so many guys that wanted to be with my wife at work, and they would be flirting with her, and I would be holding them up in the elevator, be like, why are you talking to my woman? You know, <laughs> just a, I, I was like that. Um, but, man, we got married in our, our Laotian culture, and uh, once that happened, I, I started to really, like, well, we're married now. I might as well show her who I really am. So I started, you know, telling her that I was drunk or drinking in front of her Smoking a blunt in the car while we're heading anywhere, you know, all the, every time we're in the car, I had a blunt rolled to the head. Um, <clears throat> so I started being more open. I wasn't hiding it no more from her because I'm already obtained. Um, so I, I got married. My wife's beautiful. Um, and I remember she was home at her parents' house. And at this point, I was living at her parents' house. And it was 3 a.m. in the morning, staggering drunk up the stairs and uh, dropped a four liter of Merlot after I just drank a four liter, I had another four liter ready to continue to keep going. Cause that's what addiction does. It's like one's never enough. One four liter is not enough. And I dropped the whole four liter on the steps and left it there. And it looked like a murder scene. Her father got up at six in the morning the next day, sees all this red Merlot all over the steps with broken glass. And, and I left it there. And they always told her, like, hey, you deserve way, me- way better than this guy. This guy is a drunk. He's not going anywhere with his life. And, and, and you, you settle down too quick. Like, this guy is obviously a bust. And, and now going, dealing with those things and dealing with my upbringing, um, five more years go on. And, and at this point, I'm, I'm hustling. I'm, I'm getting into more trouble. And my drinking and drugging uh, just went spiraling out of control. Uh, so eventually we had an American wedding, 2008. <clears throat> and one month after marriage, and I'm being real with you guys, I'm going to share some stuff. You guys will be like, wow. And it's going to be crazy. Um, but I want to be transparent because I want to show you how far I was gone. But I also want to show you how God's grace can redeem anybody. If he can redeem me, he can redeem you. He can redeem you watching online. Uh, so I was, I was out, uh, I called out of work. I was working third shift at the time. I called out and I, I, I'm like, I'm not going to work. I went hanging out with my buddies. We started in Johnson City. We started bar hopping all, all the way over to, eventually made it to JT's downtown Binghamton. And after a long night of drinking, heavy drinking, completely sloshed, you know, there's hundreds of people out in State Street there and those, those bars and I think they had Boca Joe's back then. It was like, it was like way back in my drinking days. So um, I'm on the third story of this parking ramp and I'm looking down after a long night drinking. The, the whole street is packed with people. And I look down and I see a police car. <clears throat> and in my mind, you know, I was like, I, I didn't like police at this point. Um, cause they always hassled me for having drugs. They'd always give me tickets. They're always searching me. And I just didn't like cops cause I was doing some crazy things. I was doing, I was riding dirty, right? I was doing some bad stuff and cops, I didn't get along with cops. 
So I urinated off the third story parking ramp onto a cop car and the cop was like opening up the door like what's going on and splashing the cop and uh, it was just really bad and, this, and when you've been drinking all night you've been drinking all night long this isn't just like a quick 10 second urination this is probably two or three minutes and I didn't have enough time to do anything I was still urinating by the time the cop came up and like, you want to piss on the law, scumbag? And threw me up against the wall, slammed my face into the wall, handcuffed me, dislocated my shoulder, slammed my face on the pavement multiple times. I was roughed up. And it was humiliating because I'm here, just been married for a month, and I'm handcuffed, and they wouldn't even give me the decency to pull up my pants. Right? I'm just strutting me around, like, look at this guy, this drunk fool. And, uh, and that's the crazy thing. When I was up, and that's, that's horrible. You just get married, and your, your husband's up there on the third story. And I, was, I, I remember saying, like, Tony Montana. I was hooked into the Scarface lifestyle, the, the Montana way. And I said, say hello to my little friend. And, you know, and I'm just like, everybody's, like, watching. And I'm just like, dude, this is bad. And a very humiliating moment of my life. And not only that, my wife gets a phone call, like, hey, you need to, uh, your husband's been arrested. And... Um, what, what are you going to do? Like, can you bail him out? And, you know, I got bailed out and eventually got a good uh, lawyer, Ronald Benjamin, and he got me out. Not only did I get arrested for that, I had a weapon on me also and caught a felony. And that was just like, hey, your husband you just got married to for one month is now going to prison, <laughs> right? Facing a three to five at least. Um, so... This, this is one of those moments in my life where it's like, hey, and this wasn't the rock bottom moment, by the way, but this started to like open my eyes, like, hey, I need to get my life together. And, and, and I stand here broken because I, I lied to my wife. I broke her trust. For many years, she wouldn't trust me. I was despised. I wasn't her daddy's, wasn't the daddy's favorite, wasn't the mama's favorite. Um... So many nights she would worry about if I was going to make it home, am I going to drive drunk and, and die? And that's where I was actually headed. I was in the parking ramp. I was going to drive drunk again. Like I just drove drunk like it was legal. So many thoughts with her. Is, is it worth sticking out with this guy? For so many years, I said one day, I'm going to follow God and be a pastor. But all that was talk. All that wasn't reality. And, and I told her that. My God's called me to be a pastor, but I can't change. I'm hooked on drugs and alcohol. I can't change. And maybe you're here today and you're like, man. And here's a couple takeaways, too, from my wife. And this is really how I know how to love an addict. She loved me in my addiction she made it uncomfortable for me to stay. Like, she was killing my buzz. She was like, oh, man. I was like, oh, he's high again. Let's make this an ordeal. I'm like, oh, man, now we got to fight. It was just an ordeal. She made it uncomfortable for me to get high and drunk, which is great. Um, not at the time, but she, um, not only that, she believed in me. She could see the real me. She could see the potential that I was going to be. She spoke that into existence. She wasn't like, you're just a junkie, you're just a drunk, you're just a this, that, this, that, and the third. She said, I believe in you, Andrew. 
And someday following God and being a pastor was going to come into a reality. She had patience. We just read about it. Love is what? Patient. She saw beyond my addiction. She saw my heart and who I was. She stuck with me through the difficult times. That's what love does. Love doesn't just say, hey, this is, it's over after a fight, over a difficult moment. Stick with the person, unless it's like an abusive relationship, then like, that's a whole totally different thing. But when you go through difficulty, <clears throat> be patient. Uh, she, fa- she, she stuck with me even when I was facing prison time. And all I could do is stop and say, one day I'm going to change and surrender my life to Jesus. Do you feel like that? Do you ever feel like giving up on your loved one? Anybody else out there? Anybody? Like, man, just the same pattern over and over again. You feel hopeless that they can't change the situation? Are you tired of being scammed, lied to? I mean, I'm telling you, they'll give you the craziest stories and you'll feel so bad for them and the whole thing's just a scam. You know, big oh my. My dog ran away, and you know, or I'm, I'm going to lose my, my place, and I need a bills. Anyway, they'll, they'll tell you some stories. They'll scam you left and right. Are you tired of having a dysfunctional house? Like, don't you just want a peaceful house? So you come home from work, and it's just like peace. It's peaceful. There isn't a whole ton of scripture. There's definitely scripture on addiction, but it's not like this mass, uh, you know, books of the Bible that talk about addiction. So I, I figured out, I'd hit the one that hits the nail on the head. If you have your Bibles, so this is a familiar passage. This is Luke 18, chapter 11. Uh, and if you didn't know this, we are a Luke 15 kind of church. We are the ones that are searching for lost things, right? Uh, with intensity. <clears throat> so this is a parable of the lost son. Uh, to illustrate the, per, uh, the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger sons told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So as the father agreed to split the wealth between the two sons. This is interesting because if you have a will uh, in place, uh, when you pass away, that's when you get the estate. Right? When the, when the father passes away. Uh, this is where the son's telling his father, that I want everything that you have right now, but you're dead to me. So this is pretty serious language here. Uh, but look, look this, this, is, this is the advice for the loved ones who had the, the attic out there. The father agreed to let him go. And this is hard. This is so hard. And I'll get to that in a little bit. <clears throat> uh, verse 13, a few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Like, not only are you dead to me, Father, but I want to get as far away from you as possible. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. Just give me all your money, and I'm gone. He's out there hanging out with Lindsay Lohan, right? You know, doing some coke with Lindsay. Uh, He wanted to get as far away from his father as possible and wasted it all. Buying all his buddies, shots at the bar, if there were bars, there were probably bars back then. But he's just spending everything. Like he, he got to the point in verse 14, it says, about the time his money ran out. The money runs out, guys. I know people that have millions of dollars that have wasted a lot of money on drugs and alcohol. Like it doesn't matter if you're rich, 
middle class, poor, like, like this, once it gets a hold of you, like thousands of dollars can go like that, quicker than gambling. <clears throat> Verse 15, he says, he, he persuaded a local fire, uh, farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to the fields uh, to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. You know, it gets bad when you're like, man, I want the pig's food. But no one gave him anything. And this is what addiction lifestyle is. is It seems like this is where the party is. This seems like fulfillment in life. This seems like this is where joy is. But in the end, it leads to destruction. It's a dead end. It's going to leave you in a casket or a prison. And many of my friends today are dead. Right? They start off smoking a little pie, a little drinking, progress to heroin, and I've done many funerals of my own friends. A month after my high school graduation, one of my close friends that I rode the bus with, his mom found him in his room with a needle in his arm. A month after graduation, had his whole life ahead of him. So this is real to me. This is more than just like, hey, I have a little drinking problem. Like, this can progress to eventually take your life. And when he finally came to his senses, first, this is so key. If you have someone out there right now, this should be your prayer. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have more uh, food to spare, and I'm dying of hunger. Addiction always leaves you hungry, always wanting more. Verse 18, he says, I'll go home to my father and say, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer be worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. He finally came to his senses. And if you're struggling, if you're online, you're watching, if you're in a campus and you're struggling right now, uh, this is your moment. This is your moment to come to your senses and run back to God, run back to the people that you've burnt the bridges to and be like, hey, I'm sorry. I can't keep living like this anymore. Because it will lead you to that place. You'll be eaten with pigs. You'll be, you'll be out on the street. You'll be cold. Like we're living in upstate New York. It's cold out there. You have more, to, more life to live. So verse 20, let me, just, let me breeze through this. Uh, so he returned home to his father. And when he was still a long ways off, his father saw him. His father was waiting. His father was watching. His anticipating this moment for his son to come back. And you think, you'd think if he did all this, if he just gave away millions and he just squandered it on wild living, you'd think when you came back, there'd be like the belt or something, right? It would be like, go to your room, right? Go, go hang out with the servants. This is the father's response. It says, a long way off, his father saw him filled with love and compassion, and he ran to his son and embraced him, kissed him, and said Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Right? Don't, don't just wear those, those old raggedy clothes. Like God wants to give you a brand new wardrobe. He wants to put the family ring on your finger. He wants to restore everything that you lost and the addiction, you lost your family, you lost money, you lost jobs, you lost opportunities. But God says, I'm going to give you something more, and he's going to restore you. If you're just willing to say, I'm done running, 
That's the only time you'll see God running the Bibles when he ran to his son. And if you didn't know this, the, the story of the father in this scripture is a parable of God, the father's love for the lost sheep, the people that are out there lost. And I look around, I, I see the whole world's lost. Everybody's lost. The Bible says all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody is perfect, but God is pursuing us. So the son finally came to his senses and thought that the father would treat him as his sins deserved. The father was waiting for him, ran to him, restored him to sonship. I want to talk to the addict first because I believe if we're going to love an addict, we got, we got to understand what an addict is first, but also, like, this is more than just a one-way street. This is more than just a family member constantly loving. Like, how many here agree, like, the addict needs to show some love back, show some improvement, right? Um, it's a two-way street. Both parties need to show action. So the medical definition of addiction says addiction is defined as a chronic relapsing disorder characterized by compulsive drug seeking, continued use despite harmful consequences, a long-lasting change in the brain, is considered both a complex brain disorder and a mental illness. So the best way I could describe this is if you're going to hand me a beer, like, what's the point of one beer? Give me two beers. Give me three beers. Give me four beers. My brain or addicts' brains, and this, this could be generational, this could be a, a generational pattern genetically, it could be generational curses, uh, but our brain, and, and it could be even a learned behavior too, um, our brain is like, one's not enough. Like normal people can have a beer, you know, at, at Applebee's, and they go on with their night, and everything's fine, but an addict, it's like, keep them coming, keep them coming. And here's the thing too, addiction is more than just drugs and alcohol. Like, that's what I'm learning. If you haven't noticed, uh, I put on a little pounds, uh, and, and it's the same thing. It's like, my wife makes amazing food. I'm like, well, why not have two plates? Why not have three plates? Oh, let's go to the buffet star. Let's do this. Come on. I, that's what I miss. I miss the buffet star. We don't have good Chinese food in Corning, but um, I miss the buffet star. But anyway, uh, Addiction could be anything. It could be binge-watching Netflix. Has anybody watched binge-watch Netflix? So next time you're like, oh, shoot, these, these filthy drug addicts. Like, are you binge-watching Netflix? Are you, are you addicted to social media? Like, are you waiting for that notification? You post something, and you're like, please, somebody post. Yes, the like. Oh, I got my endorphins going. I feel that rush of adrenaline from a liked comment. And, or, that didn't make sense, a liked post or a comment. Uh, it could be food, it could be gambling. Uh, I mean, I, I used to go wild in the casinos too. Um, sex, right? Um, there's many different forms of addiction. Addiction is just the uh, indicator on the dashboard that says, hey, check engine light. You know, that's all, like the drugs, that's just, that's just the check engine light, man. Like the real issue is what's going on underneath the hood. And I know there's so many people that have been through some broken homes, you've been through some rejection, you've had people walk on your life, and you don't know how to handle the pain, you don't know how to handle the rejection, you don't know how to come up, maybe your, your living situation isn't what uh, a normal living situation would look like, and, and the only way you could deal with it is through drinking a bottle away. 
It's way more deeper than just say, oh, it's just drugs. Uh, so with that being said, <clears throat> I've seen many addicts continue in their addiction because they have a disease. I hear it all the time. They'll be like, well, you know, they'll treat it like it's like diabetes or something. Like, I got to, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. Yes, that happens to your brain. But I, I believe recovery is a choice. I believe when you get to a point where you say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to follow God. Uh, this is what scientific fact that you could rewire your brain, right? Like when I quit cigarettes, really hard to quit. After 21 days of rewiring my brain, instead of picking up a cigarette, I put in a cough drop. It's like, oh, my brain. And then here's another thing. Your brain can take over a year to heal. There's studies done to addict's brain when you go to rehab, and it shows the damage done by the drugs and alcohol. If you get clean time, if you get over a year clean, like it starts healing your brain. And, and this isn't something like, man, this is what Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind, right? It's a whole different way of thinking. It's just like, man, I, I was doing this. I was going to the dope band, but now I'm going to go to church, right? I was uh, scamming for money. Now I'm going to get a job and, and, and work and, and be productive. And, and, and I'm telling you, if you're not working, if you're just kind of like waiting uh, and sitting around, you will relapse. If you're not productive, the, um, you know, a saying says, uh, idle hands are the devil's playground, right? If you're just sitting there kind of waiting for things to happen, like you're going to look for something to happen, and, and it's probably not going to be good. But no, what's going to be good is when you get working, you get your own place again, you get your own wheels again, you get to like come home, you be like, wow, this is my spot. I love coming home. That's one thing that me and my wife, we fight for. Like, whatever we do, we're going to have a peaceful home. Like, we're going to have a house where we come home, we get to worship God together, we get to pray, we get to have a meal together. There's no, like, not a lot of fighting, right? Like, it's like peace in the house. And I have to fight for that. We have to fight for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, I reach a lot of people with drugs and alcohol addictions, but I'm never, like, there's barriers that I personally have. Like, I don't have anybody live with me. Like, that's one of the barriers, like, being my, my wife, like, whatever we do, whatever ministry we do, we're never going to have somebody live with us. And, and it's, I have to say no to some horrible situations, but there's a lot of options available. Let me get through a couple more things. <clears throat> um, so you may think... And this is another thing I hear with the addicts too. It's like, and it's so hard because it's true in a sense. It's like, it's my life. I can do what I want. It's my body. I can do whatever I want. And, and it, it's true because what they're doing is affecting them. But I like to say addiction is a grenade. You pull the pin. Yes, your body is going to get damaged. It's going to get injured. It's going to get destroyed. But everybody close to you is going to be affected. It's not going to just affect you. It's going to affect your kids. It's going to affect your grandkids. It's going to affect your community. It's a grenade. It's explosion. So when we read that love is not self-seeking, I know for me, when I was in my active addiction, self-seeking all the way. Number one in my life, how am I going to get high all day, every single day for the rest of my life? That was my self-seeking. Forget bills, 
we can eat at all these. We can eat $20 a week. We can, we can get high on our own supply. You know, that's what self-seeking is. It's like me, 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 me. Feed the me monster. And for me to live that way every single day, all day long, uh, everything else came second. Love is not self-seeking. So uh, if you love your spouse, your family, your friends, you got, you got to show some more than just about you, right? You got, you got to give back a little bit, right? You got to do something. Uh, our prayer for you today is that you'll come to your senses and run from your addiction and turn from God. And that's what changed my life. Uh, here, here's a couple things. Uh, we can't change an addict. Only an addict can choose uh, that they need to change. It's so hard. It's frustrating when you see somebody destroying their life. It's like, why don't you change? But their brain is like more and 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 they're so used to it. Um, so here's some practical steps to take today if you're struggling with drugs and alcohol. Um, at the end of this experience, at your location or if you're online, surrender your life to Jesus. That's the step. It's not some elaborate uh, recovery plan. It's surrender your life to Jesus and you'll change your life. Like, yes, and then also get community, right? That's a good thing to have community, have people in your life. Well, that's the big step. That's what worked for me. I couldn't stop, but Jesus Christ changed my life. And I ain't looked back. I got over 10 years clean and sober from drugs and alcohol. I'm a pastor today. God. Uh, go to church every Sunday and participate. Be open-minded every Sunday. Start retraining your brain to go to church. It's healthy. I don't ever leave church and be like, wow, that was whack. That was horrible. That was terrible. Oh my gosh, I went to church. That's not what it's like at all. If you're watching online, that is not the case. Church is amazing. I leave church, I'm like, I just encounter God. This is awesome. Come on. Uh, wake up in the morning, uh, 15 minutes. That's all I'm asking, 15 minutes. If you're in the room, 15 minutes online. Uh, one worship song. One chapter in the Bible, pray for five minutes. Right? Uh, number four, get into a small group. Go to Brand New every week. If you don't know what Brand New is, hit me up on Facebook, Andrew Rosenbarker. Um, if, you don't have a two, if you don't have a Brand New at your campus, hit me up. It's easy. Start a Brand New at your campus. It'd be, it'd be awesome. Um, yeah, I love to talk to you. I, I could spend hours on that, but I got to get through that. Um, any kind of self-help meeting, such as AA or NA, um, have meetings daily. They have nooners. They have seven o'clocks. They have so many different meetings. Um, get yourself plugged into a meeting. Um, also, Pastor Kerry, uh, counselor uh, here at Two Rivers Church, uh, will, will sit down with you and counsel you. Amazing counseling. This guy is brilliant and gives you great biblical ways to uh, get unstuck from your addiction. Uh, number seven, we just talked about it, next steps. Uh, discover your purpose. I didn't really start going in the right direction until not only did my wife say, Andrew, you can do this. Not only did God say, Andrew, you're called to be a pastor. Once I had that purpose, it's over. It's over. I'm, I'm going all in. And my purpose, I'm going to live it out. I'm not just going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I did this and that. I'm going all in. Love, uh, so here, here's the part for the people that love the attic, and we're going to close here in a second. So if you have somebody out there, maybe it's your son, maybe it's your daughter, maybe it's your spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, aunt, uncle, 
Uh, this is how you love the attic. Uh, love them without enabling them. It's so hard, but it's, it's possible. Uh, don't allow them to continue and be their behavior. Yeah, and if I could have the team come back, that'd be awesome. Um, make it uneasy. My wife made it uneasy for me. She's like, what, you doing lines on, the, on our, uh, you know, like a picture frame or something? Like, it'd just, just be a fight. Like, I couldn't just enjoy my buzz. It was just like this argument, you know? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Sorry. So if, if an addict is living in a house free of charge, cell phones paid for, food on the table, clothing, who wants to change that life? Like, I want that, right? You don't have to do anything. You just, mommy and daddy got it, you know? Who wants to leave that environment? That's what enabling is. It's just like, this is too easy. Like, I don't want to change. Why would I want to change from this? Everything's there. I get to be high all day long. Nobody ever says anything about it. And if you're enabling them to stay in their addiction, who would want to leave that environment? Uh, steps. Here's some steps if you want to write these down. Uh, and then we're going to close this out. Steps to love an addict. Like I said before, stop enabling them to continue in their addiction. Uh, the power of letting go is so important. We just saw that in the scripture. The father just let him go. And it sounds crazy because part of the enabling and part of the codependency is like, I need to be there for them. Especially if you're a parent. I need to be there for them. And then once they're gone, it's like, now you feel like, how am I going to be there for them? And they're like gone. Um, maybe went off to college or something. Uh, so it feeds each other. Codependency feeds with the addictions. And they know how to take advantage of it for sure. Um, create healthy boundaries, right? What are some healthy boundaries you need to set in stone? Be like, hey, uh, maybe, um, like my house needs to be peaceful. Like, that is a boundary I'm willing to fight for. Like, my house needs to be peaceful. Um, it's not going to be a place where I have to hide my wallet. Like, I should be able to leave a $100 bill on the table. Don't have to worry about anybody stealing it. Right? Is that too much to ask? You know, if you're, if you're going to stay at my house, like, my stuff better not be coming up missing. I shouldn't be seeing you walk down the street with my TV, you know. Uh, Create, so create healthy boundaries. Uh, never give them any money. And they'll, cut, they'll be like, man, I got to do laundry. Oh, man, I, I don't have money for laundry. And just 10 bucks. And, you know, I'll take that 10 bucks. And then 10 bucks next week. And that adds up to a dub. And anyway, um, never give them money. And they'll tell you some stories, some sad, sad stories. And they'll make you feel guilty. And it's a scam. It's a lie. Uh, offer them rides to rehab recovery meetings, church, like offer them the ride. Like, hey, I want to take, I want to see you do good. I'll, I'll take you to your job. I'll take you to work. Sweet. Yeah, you're doing good. You're making progress. It's not just like you sitting down, like self-seeking. When you start seeing progress, you start seeing them going in that direction. Meet them there. Uh, love is patient. The father waited a long time. He waited a long time. Uh, the power of prayer. This is so powerful. I'm telling you, pray for them. Prayer is not just like, oh, we're just talking. It's more than just words. You're talking to God. 
talking about God to intervene in your loved one's life and, and, and he sees everything that's going on and I'm telling you there is power in prayer fast and pray we do 21 days yeah come on somebody I know this side this side's feeling me uh, pray fast pray believe God that they will come to their senses keep the communication line open the father welcomed his son back with open arms. Celebrate the small wins. Like, oh, you got a job today. Awesome. Oh, you, you, you stopped hard liquor and now you're just drinking beer. Awesome. That is a huge win. Yes, now you quit the beer. Now you're drinking just wine. Yes, awesome. You're starting to win the battle. You're starting to cut the things out that have been having you enslaved. Let's celebrate those things. My wife gave me the ultimatum. She said, quit drinking or choose me. Like, that's, that's a buzzkill. It's like, come on, can't I just watch the game? Can't I just go hang out? She just kept giving me the ultimatums. I'm like, man, I can't, I can't lose this. Final, final thing to write down, speak life into them. Be an encourager. Help them have vision for the future. Paint the picture. I feel like a lot of addicts, they don't have a, a concept of what the future may hold. Like all they can see is what's in front of them. But when you say things like, man, I can see you doing this. Man, when somebody came up to me and be like, Andrew, I believe in you. I can see you preaching the gospel in front of people. Like, paint that picture for them. Like, God has a plan and a purpose for everybody's life. So let's all stand up. I want to pray. We're we're, going to go into a time of response here in a second. I want to pray for you online. And then the community pastor at each location is going to come up. Lord God, my prayer right now is for every single person watching through the screen or here in person or watching online. If they're struggling with drugs and alcohol, they haven't been able to find freedom. I pray that this is their moment. I pray that this is the moment that they've been waiting for. This is the moment that their friends and their family have been waiting for. They've been rooting them on like, please, will they finally get it together? Will they finally drop the chains of the slavery of addiction and say, I wanna be who God's called me to be. So God, I pray that right now for every single person online. I pray for every single family member that is trying to love an addict, Lord. I pray for patience, supernatural patience to rest on them. Lord God, I pray that they will love like never before and that their loved one will finally come to their senses. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.